You know what else I'm scared of? Boredom. I'm scared that if oh, I outsource, no. yeah, if I outsource everything and if I become so efficient that everything's being taken care of, there's going to be nothing to do and I'm just going to sit there and just be alone and it's just, that's really scary. What am I going to do? Embrace boredom. No. You uh, no. probably don't get an opportunity very much and right. it's where some of my best ideas come from. How would you like to speak to thousands of people in your pajamas without leaving your bedroom? Here's the thing. You need to be getting on podcasts yesterday. Why? Because podcasters are hot. Over 73 million Americans listen to podcasts and that number is growing every month. That's insane. Here's the problem. There are currently over half a million podcasts and finding the right ones is like finding a needle in a haystack. Podcast booking agencies charge thousands of dollars to book you on shows and they usually just spam podcasters like me. Hosts like myself get pitched all the time and we don't have time to research every potential guest. In fact, I turned down 95% of pitches. And this is why I created Podbooker. Podbooker.com is the first platform where guests can easily pitch hosts and hosts can find great guests. It's like a podcast dating site. Use our simple search algorithm to find the perfect hosts in seconds. Increase your acceptance rates with our bio templates, video pitches, and powerful profile pages. Easily communicate and follow up with hosts with a few clicks. Keep a record of all the podcasts you've been featured on. Learn how to become a rock star guest with our Academy tutorials featuring award-winning podcast hosts and much, much more. So what are you waiting for? Head over to podbooker.com. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Ari Meisel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel Geffen. I decided to hit record because I felt like we were about to go deep into something and I knew I'd regret it if I didn't hit the record button. So I'm, I just hit it. Literally, <laughs> literally, that's what I did. How you doing? Can't help ourselves. I just can't help ourselves. No, no. This is, this, is how we, this is how we roll, right? You just kind of go with the flow. So I was wishing you a Shana Tova. It's a Jewish New Year. And, uh, and I said, a new year, new beginnings. And you said... I said it's always new beginnings. It's always okay. new beginnings. Yeah. I love that, right? Every day is a new day. Um, there was a, you, you said something about the present. There's nothing like the present, right? It's a gift. Um, so yeah. <laughs> someone once said well, something. In all, in all fairness, I stole that from Kung Fu Panda and the, the wise words of <laughs> Master Chifo. Oh, my uh, God. Okay, now my, now my kids are going to have to listen to this episode because they, they're obsessed with, with Shifu and Kung Fu Panda. Um, so uh, um, someone said something to me that really stuck, which was, if you have one foot in the, in the past and one foot in the future, you're pissing on the present. <laughs> you like that's that one? That's great. I like that one. He actually said something else, but I can't say. I, I, that's a bit too graphic for, for, for this show, but you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So so what's the latest, man? What's going on? I mean, you've uh you're big into the into the optimizing and the and the automating, the outsourcing. Now, how did it all yeah, I guess um, how did it all start? <laughs> I want to I want to kind of go back to your to your cuz nobody like starts off as like a 5-year-old saying, "Hey, I need to optimize things." You know? 
No, that's right. They typically don't. That's uh, although I guess I, I wish we had more of that uh, with my my kids. It's something that I, I yeah. would like them to have that mindset. <laughs> uh, so I was I've been an entrepreneur most of my life, and I was working in construction when I got out of college. So I was doing real estate development stuff in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and after three years of doing that, I found myself in three million dollars of debt. I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease after sort of living a very, very unhealthy lifestyle and really broke my body and went from working 18 hours a day to barely being able to do an hour in a day. And through a long process of self-tracking and self-experimentation, I was able to overcome the illness. And a big part of that was starting a brand new system of productivity to help me deal with the stress of the, the sheer overwhelm of everything that was happening in my life. And I called that system less doing, as in less doing, more living. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been writing books and speaking and consulting and coaching and teaching all around the world. And it's been amazing. So let's unpackage that because there was a lot there. I mean, you, you, you talk about it as if it's like, yeah, you know, I was $3 million in debt because, hey, every Tom, <sighs> Dick and Harry and Susie is always in three millions. Of, you know, it's like it's just a normal day, the life of Ari. What, 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 how does that even happen? Oh my God, that I would probably die of anxiety. It's like if I've got to check that bounces for like $1,000, I have a heart attack. You're like $3 million in debt. Jeez. Well, how did you get there? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 so I agree with you, by the way. If I have like, uh, like, uh, if I have a thousand dollar deck or something, that might bounce. Like that's a, that's a bad day. So, right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it was, um, so so basically what happened was I, I was 20 years old and I, I saw an opportunity to do this big real estate development project and I was able to get a million and a half dollar line of credit from a local bank because it was a it was a really big by by the by the standards of the place I was doing it which is upstate New York it was a relatively big project and this bank came to me to this credit line and I blew through that and needed to get a second one. And they weren't going to say no because I had to finish this project. And wow. really what ended up happening was it just took about three or four years longer than I had planned to sell these units. So eventually I was able to. I didn't make as quite as big a profit as I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I got to this point where I had the $3 million of debt, no, absolutely no sales at all, and uh, then got sick. I mean, it was it was a confluence of very, very bad things. <laughs> When you say like you got sick and you and you got Crohn's disease, I always thought you were born with it. Is it is it something that you can you can actually develop? Yeah, so it's typically it's a young person's disease and uh, typically comes around in the in someone's twenties. In rare cases, it can develop in your fifties. Oh, uh, there's typically a genetic component to it, and then lifestyle has a big as- uh, factor in it. Nowadays, though, I mean, I talk to parents who have kids that are 12, 11, 12, 13 that are dealing with it, uh, and in retrospect. I was having, so I was diagnosed when I was 23. Mm-hmm. I was having symptoms as early as I can remember when I was 14. But it was the kind of thing that would happen once every three to four to six months. And, you know, we, at the time, I never made a link. I never thought about it. and never got it checked out or anything. It just happened every yeah. now and then. So once I was finally diagnosed, it, it kind of all made sense and clicked. And nowadays, kids are getting diagnosed a lot earlier. But those listening that don't are not familiar with Crohn's disease, can you just briefly explain what the symptoms look like and what it is? Yeah, so it depends a little bit, but I mean, essentially, it's a, it's a inflammatory, it's a chronic inflammatory condition of the digestive tract. 
uh, and it can happen anywhere along your digestive tract, from nose to tail, basically. But for most people, it happens in the small and large intestines, and it's this, the most common symptoms are uh, an inability to sort of uh, draw nutrients from your food because you're not, you're just not absorbing it properly. So malnourishment. Uh, a lot of cramping, stomach cramping, and pain, and uh, diarrhea, constipation, back and forth, like oh sort of uncontrollable bowels in a lot of ways. <sighs> so uh, if you have an obstructive kind of Crohn's, which is what I had, basically what happens is the inflammation is so chronic and so intense that parts of your intestines basically develop scar tissue, and scar tissue doesn't go away really. So it just gets hardening and, oh, and narrowing of your digestive tract and things literally get stuck and the intestines are really weird in that there's no pain receptors in your intestines so if you were to cut them or burn them you wouldn't feel it but if you stretch them it's one of the most painful things that a human being can experience oh god and essentially what happens is you get food that gets stuck but your body doesn't care it still wants to move it through and it's trying and it's like just waves of very very debilitating pain uh, it's actually one of the reasons so that uh, Crohn's is considered an A-class illness, meaning uh, it's up there with cancer and, and others. So the side, the plus side of that is I'm legally able to get any kind of drugs I want, but <laughs> it's, it's that bad. Any drugs. I'll eat the drug dealer. Forget about less doing. <laughs> so I heard that apparently there's no cure for Crohn's disease. Like once you've been diagnosed, that's that's it. You're pretty much screwed. That's correct. It is considered to be an uncurable, an incurable illness. Mm -hmm. And as with most uh, incurable illnesses, the treatments really center around the symptoms, which doesn't, I mean, they can have short-term relief which is kind of what i got from the i mean i was on pretty pretty serious medicine mm. and i did get some short-term relief in terms of like being able to take a breath but if i weren't to then change things and really identify ways that i could do better and and change my lifestyle then it wouldn't have mattered and that's typically what happens with a lot of these kind of chronic illnesses is that people take medicine for the symptoms and then they're fine so they just keep living mm. and your body will win mm. So what did you do um, differently? So I basically, uh, so at first I sort of just went along with what my doctors were telling me. And, I, and to be completely fair, like I had a, a really great doctor and very supportive. But I was taking a lot of medicine. I was put on about 16 pills a day, one of which was this medicine called 6MP, which is a 40-year-old leukemia drug. So oh I was like throwing up every, yeah, so I was like throwing up every day and, uh, my hair was thinning and it was it was very rough but in a lot of ways it did sort of cut down on some of the inflammation at least for that amount of time and then I started experimenting and so basically what happened was I had this very very bad night in the hospital I had several episodes where I had to end up in the hospital but this particular night was I don't know I was just lying there alone and reflecting and realized that I had to do something different so when I got out uh, I actually spiked 105 degree fever for a couple days, so I was kind of delirious. And after that, I was just like, I'm just going to do everything different than what I have been doing. So I completely reversed things I was doing with my diet, and I started exercising minimally and started playing around with different supplements. And a lot of it was just taking control because we see this all the time where 
uh, human beings need control uh, and different human beings need different levels of it. We all need some of it. And when you're in a battle with your own body, it's, you know, it's, it's like the invisible uh, enemy that's always there. It's really hard to, to function with that. So starting to take some control and make a decision about what I was going to be doing was really helpful. I also started crunching a lot of numbers. So I, I was getting blood tests like every three weeks. And I mean, I had every test you can imagine. And I had all this data and I was literally, at the time, they'd give me a piece of paper with the results and I'd just stick it in a drawer. So I started like crunching numbers and things. And to this day, I'm not even sure that I necessarily had some amazing correlation from the data. But again, it was like, it, it was like uh, I wasn't along for the ride anymore. You know, I was taking control of my information in my body. Hmm. And... I started to feel better and that motivated me to try more things and there was definitely a lot of trial and error there were certain things that, I did that definitely didn't make me feel better but at the end of the day stress or nutrition and supplements and fitness were a really important aspect of it but the stress management was probably the biggest i think still mm -hmm. to this day and That's when so i work with people since then i've worked with several people with crohn's stress management is one of the most important and also the most difficult to achieve Wow. When was the last time you took pills for, for that specific? Oh, I think it's, I think it's been uh, I think it's been eight years now. Wow, that's incredible. Well, so, I mean, so the other thing is, so because it is considered incurable, right? And one of the big things is that once you have scar tissue, you're really not supposed to be able to get rid of scar tissue. But hmm. I've shown in scans that I actually have reduced scar tissue. So, wow. uh, really, yeah, yeah. So which you're not supposed to be able to do. So that's one of the reasons why I feel that I have cured myself and. Also, the cure aspect to me is like a mindset because technically people can be in remission for decades in Crohn's and it could come back. And I accept that that's a possibility. But if it mm. were to happen again, I would know exactly how I would attack it. Mm. But there was this test. There's this test called a barium transport study where you basically drink this really heavy. Like, it's like very heavy milk, essentially. And it's a pretty nauseating test, but then they sort of watch this stuff through you and it coats all your insides and it gives them a really good picture. Mm -hmm. The first time I did that test, it took three and a half hours for the, the fluid to get through me. And the last time I did it, it took 15 minutes. Wow. So, My God. Yeah, which is kind of, which kind of amazing. So I had reduced the structures so much That's and insane. the inflammation that I was able to function. Yeah. And you're saying the biggest factor was stress. I believe so, yeah, because honestly, like at this point, I have I have four small children. I don't eat uh, the cleanest of diets. A lot of times, it's sort of like I'm like the garbage disposal. And I can eat things now that there's no way I could have eaten before and have no effect on me at all. So it, it, the stress management is a really big, big aspect of it. When you figured that out, like how did you um, – because I, 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 you know, I, it's, I get stressed out, right? It, it's natural. How do you keep calm? Like, how do you reverse that? Well, so one thing that, you know, not, not even in a facetious uh, manner, but, you know, Jews, as we are, tend to be a little prone to stress. <laughs> and, Jews also, and Jews also tend to be prone to, to Crohn's. It's a, there's really? a, yeah, I've noticed, yeah. That's Ashkenazi so Jews are two-thirds more likely to be in the Crohn's population wow. than not. Yeah. So, and there's a genetic predisposition to it, and you know, there's there's a, a lot of different sort of pathways that you could get there. But um, mm. well, think me, about the Holocaust for one, for crying out loud. Right. That's yeah. Well, and that's in our epigenetics, so, you know, to some right. extent, right? So right. Stress kills. There, we know. 
we know that you know if your grandmother was a was a heavy smoker that you're more likely to be prone to lung cancer like it's just something we know that epigenetics has an effect on genes hmm. and stress can carry through so and also it not even so much stress but everyone has stress right but it's how we respond to it so if you've ever had that feeling of butterflies in your stomach yeah that's normal but if you have Crohn's, you think about that as being 100 times stronger and happening all the time, and something has to break at some point. So, mm. uh, yeah, so the, st the stress management is really, really huge for me. And a lot of that is just knowing what to do with certain situations. So I know that that sounds like very general. Yeah. But for, for me, it, it's that there's, it, like, in, in, at least in business and in life, I sort of see myself as someone who is primarily responsible for sorting. Okay, so if you look at it that way, think about like hot potato in your life, right? You mm -hmm. want to have as little touch as possible on the things that you need to do mm -hmm. and then sort of move them on to the right place. So if that's somebody who works for you asking, you know, how, how do I deal with this particular thing? And ideally, you, you can give them the answer or say like you need to talk to this person and mm -hmm. not become a bottleneck. And yeah, same thing in my personal life. If there's something, a school form that needs to be filled out, oh, no. I don't even look at it sometimes. <laughs> I immediately send that to, to a virtual assistant. Yeah. Right? I or, know that feeling. Uh, uh, basically, the things that we see as emergencies and urgent, a lot of times they're not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we see them that way is because you can't read the label from inside the jar. And when you're in it, it's very hard to sort of look around and see how to manage these things. So what most people do, which is very human of us, is just to sort of like let the wave wash over you and go into mm -hmm. autopilot mode and just do all the things. Yeah. But sometimes just taking a step back and, and I don't even mean this in like a meditative way like you know I'm, like, it's not about like taking a breath and deciding what to do. it's really just being able to sort of take a little step back uh, in your mind and look at what's actually happening and what needs to get done and see it as a process and you step out basically you need to step out because when you're involved in it and you're surrounded by it you don't even notice it right correct it's right. like, you know, I'm going to give an analogy that's probably a little bit um, <laughs> graphic, but it's like when you, when you, you know, go to the bathroom uh, and you sit there for a while, you don't actually smell anything, right? But then when you go out and then you come back in to cat your phone because you forgot your phone, you're like, oh my God, what was that? Right? It's only when you come back in afterwards that you realize what, what, what was there, but you were sitting in it the whole time you didn't notice, right? <laughs> Yeah, and that, that certainly happens. It happens with parents. It happens with uh, in relationships. It's, it's very hard to lose a sense of yourself in some cases. Right. And the biggest thing I would say about that also is that we tend to go through the same motions like all the time. And yet each time it happens, we see them as unique. And we can avoid a lot of these situations with a little bit of planning. And a great example of this was last week. I took my kids to the zoo with my wife. And we were we were fine. Um, and so it, it's this, it's the Prospect Park Zoo in Brooklyn, and they have a ton of peacocks walking around the zoo, hmm. and they're beautiful. And it's just you know it's part of the the charm of the zoo. And we we sit down at the cafe that they have there, and we're having some ice cream. And there's a woman at the table next to us, and a peacock walks over to her, and she like she's like shoo shoo shoo, and she's like <laughs> banging her like water bottle on the table to try to get it to go away, and like looking all huffy and pissed off. And my son, my six year old, was like, "That's not nice," and she like got up and walked away. Mm. But to me, it's like if you don't want a peacock coming over to your table, don't go to the freaking zoo. <laughs> you know, like what are you doing? You you like what you know? So it's that, but we do that all the time with everything mm. that we do, and I feel like. The, the, the peacock example is great because you know don't go to the zoo but but i feel like 
we go to the zoo because we feel like society's told us to go to the zoo. Like you have to go to the zoo. Like, yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like That's people right. say you have to get it. You have to get a nine to five job. You got to sit there and you got to do everything yourself. And it, it's funny because I tell you what, what I found because I'm naturally. I used to call myself lazy and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to call myself lazy because that's the word society would use for me because they would say, oh, you don't do much, so you must be lazy. But the truth is I get so much more done than than the average person, but I don't get involved in the thick of it because that's not where I excel, right? But that doesn't mean I'm lazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I used to have this guilt about outsourcing and automating and do you know what i mean like there was this guilt like oh yeah. i'm not doing the work maybe i'm just being lazy maybe i'm just avoiding it another fun thing about being a jew right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're so good with guilt, so guilt um <laughs> yeah no it's, it's true and, and you know that the bigger thing there is that people assign value to the wrong things and i don't mean in terms of like cars and boats and planes i mean that people think that and I'll be I'll be specific. So I'm not just sort of generalizing. I see so many founders of companies and presidents of large companies. I work with Fortune 500s. I work with all these big companies, and you'd be amazed at how many very wealthy, very powerful, very successful people insist on booking their own travel, um, which is insanity to me. Because like, and it's based on this false belief that only they are going to know the right seat that's good for them. <laughs> You know, and and it's crazy. Uh, you see this all the time. And anytime you hear somebody talking about something where it's like they know how to pick a winner, basically, you know, like I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know when I see it. We, yeah. we see that all the time. And I, and yeah, I yeah. we're all not and guilty is not the right word, but we all have that. You know, whether you know a good hire or a good stock pick mm -hmm. or a good piece of soft, whatever it is, we all sort of have that sense. And that's something that we so inherently think is like just only we can do that. But we now know that there's free online tools that have machine learning algorithms that can do that the same as you with 90% accuracy. So this idea that not only should we be doing things, but only we can do these things, like we're shouldering this amazing responsibility. Hmm. It's just, it, it's very self-limiting. Hmm. So what's like the first thing you do? I mean, if you get like a, a, a client that comes and says, I'm, I'm, I'm completely stressed out. I got so many things going on, juggling all these different things. Um, where do you start with someone like that? Where did where did you start even? So, yeah, I mean, and, and we see that all the time, right? I, I like to jokingly refer to myself as an overwhelmologist because it's what we see. <laughs> I see it every day. Right. So we have to start with looking at what they're actually doing with their time, what their company, what their team is doing with their time. I, when I'm working with companies, I tend to focus on communications, project management, and, and processes hmm. and I work with companies doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue and some doing 50 million plus a year and the hmm. issues are relatively the same really oh that wow what are the most uh, what, what would be the especially most especially with fast growing companies what's the common do not like what's the common things that come up straight away that you see so uh, communications is one of the biggest ones because I'm I'm a really big proponent or I mean, I'm pretty adamant, actually, about separating internal from external communications, which most companies don't do well. So a lot of people will use their email for everything. Mm -hmm. And counterintuitively, there's there's lots of areas of, of business operations and productivity where you really want to have everything be in the same place. Mm -hmm. But communications is not one of them. And people have a little trouble grasping that sometimes.
that like if you look at my phone my iphone there's seven different communication tools on the home screen and they're all for different purposes and people try to do it all in one place because they don't want to be switching around but the truth is they are switching around anyway but they're just doing it in a much smaller box mm-hmm. whereas if you say like i know that i'm using email for external communication and i'm only using slack to talk to my team and i'm using voxer to talk to my high level clients mm-hmm. you mentally can compartmentalize a lot better and the switching becomes easier mm-hmm. because you communicate in a different style you know, like right now when we're having this podcast interview, I mean, I, I would like to think that I talk normally like this, but we all know that we have like a podcast voice, right? Oh, yes. And if I were to bring my podcast <laughs> voice to email or to a webinar or something, it, it, it would be incongruent. You know, what's a so, perfect example of yeah. that, by the way, is I transcribed my podcast because right, I have another show, a daily show, and I wanted to start creating these little books from the podcast. So I trans, I got someone to transcribe it. And I was like thinking, oh, this is going to be so easy. All I have to do is just transcribe like, you know, 20 episodes and boom, I've got a book, right? Simple, done. But like I transcribed an episode and it sounded great, but as a book, it sucked. (laughs) It's like really bad. And it's just like, like, why is that? Like I talk, when we write, we write differently than when we talk. It's, it's, right? It's so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, to think that we should keep everything in one place just makes no sense. And the typical inbox, mm-hmm. you know, is going to have the uh, the important email, not important email, important, important, not, not, not like it. And that mental switching is very, very challenging. Whereas and also recognizing internal communication tends to be very discussion based. It's like, yeah. how should we do this? Well, why don't we do this? Way? Oh, why don't we do this way? And mm-hmm. in email, that becomes 20 BCCs with forwards and a chain of things <laughs> that you can't follow. Right. Whereas external communication is very transactional. You know, just like you might email me and say, hey, Ari, can you be on the podcast at this time? I'll say, no, I can't do that time. How about this time? You say, okay, great. It's very like this, that, this, that. Uh, and so email is great for that. It's terrible for that internal communication. So you have to separate those things out. So that's a big one. We see that from the, the two-person startup all the way up to the you know 180-person company. Really? Even if there's two people in a company, like how much, how badly can the communication be already? I mean... It, 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 it's bad enough. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing. Is like people have to really under. They have to keep these things separate. And mm-hmm. it's not about cost or anything. It's just about having good structures in place so that you can scale as quickly as you're able. And that's an important distinction because you see a lot of companies that are growing. They don't need help to grow more. They don't actually. That's not what most of them need. They're going to grow. They're going to get there. They have great ideas. They have a good team, and they're going to get there. What they usually need is somebody to come in and remove the bottlenecks that are holding them back. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, the the sort of governor that's on them that they can't recognize that mm-hmm. will get them there as fast as they want. So a lot of people look at it the opposite way. So other than communication, what would be like next on the list? I would... Project management, for sure. So with project management, we're looking at how they... So a lot, a lot of project management systems lack the proper level of transparency. Mm-hmm. So people don't necessarily, like at a glance, you should be able as a founder or the head of your company, you should be able to go in and sort of see what people are working on, what needs attention, who's responsible for what, that kind of stuff. And most don't have that. A lot of them don't have an e- even have a standard at all. One person might be using one thing, one person might be using another. They don't necessarily mesh with each other. 
and that's that doesn't lead to greater collaboration which ultimately i think is what makes most companies unique is the ability of their people to collaborate hmm. right because the whole the parts are worth more than the whole so uh and also treating things like in a pipeline that's another one too that we mm-hmm. don't see so unless people are familiar with or they're in a space where they're working in something that's industrial or actually have assembly lines you need to treat your projects like an assembly line there need to be very clear processes and phases that they go through from one phase to the next and that way you get a sense of velocity and you, mm-hmm. you really know what to expect of things and who to expect them from but what are some tools that you recommend for that so I so I tend to be actually tool agnostic, oh, really? uh, which is important for me. I'm I'm very um, it's much about more about the mindset of the tool. But you know if if I had to answer, which I'm happy to, no, you don't, you could do it. <laughs> Trello you is my favorite project <laughs> management oh, tool really? by far. Interesting. Yeah, because there's a visual uh, aspect of it. Yes, and it has a Kanban layout, which is the, mm-hmm. very clearly like there's a start and an end, and things are going to move through that. It just works very well for the human brain to see that progression. But that's really interesting because I had a call today with someone who told me that they have a tool they use called, oh man, what's it called? Meister Task, Meister Task, and apparently it's it's Trello on crack. She said. <laughs> The problem with Maestro Task yeah. um, is that, so yes, I, I would agree. That's a very apt description of it. <laughs> okay. uh, the drug data says. It's, yeah. It, yeah, but it, actually, there's no problem per se. Um, I think it's overkill in some cases. Okay. Sometimes you can And it's it. also not as customizable as uh, Trello would be. One thing that it does add into it, which I think is really nice, is MindMeister, which, which I am a fan of, which is an online, it's a mind mapping tool. So you can kind of go from a mind map into a Kanban board. So that's nice. But uh, the other thing that I like about Trello is that it integrates so well with all these other automation platforms like Zapier and stuff. So I can just, I can do more with the Trello board hmm. than I can with other tools. When someone says to you, master of uh, sorry a jack of all trades but master of none you ever get told that before yep and i'm a big fan of it um really? <laughs> there's there's uh this great robert heinlein quote uh which robert heinlein is a science fiction author right and the quote it's actually it's my favorite quote so he says uh, human beings should be able to change a diaper i have this on my wall so i'm not memorizing <laughs> it a human being sh- a human being should be able to change a diaper plan an invasion butcher a hog haunt a ship design a building write a sonnet balance accounts build a wall set a bone comfort the dying take orders give orders cooperate act alone solve equations analyze a new problem pitch manure program a computer cook a tasty meal fight efficiently die gallantly specialization is for insects uh, wow! So, wow! Uh, yeah, oh, that's wow. that's my favorite quote of all time, and I agree with that. I think that that makes us very agile, and I, clearly there are certain situations where people need to become very specialized if they're going to be a scientist or a doctor or something like that. But the the problem for me is when people become too specialized, it becomes a lot harder for them to collaborate. Hmm. And in the world where automation is re- replacing jobs every day, our ability to collaborate as human beings, I think, is something that will always be unique to us and if we take that away it becomes a lot less fun <laughs> so I, it's funny because <laughs> i misunderstood you when when i asked you if you were when you agreed with that i thought you meant you agreed that you should be a master 
at one thing no. and not at, so you're saying what i was saying which was essentially because people would tell me this all the time like i'm a guy who has so many ideas i'm always involved in different projects i can't sit still and i get these you know these coaches or whatever can telling me you know daniel jack of all trades master of none you need to focus on one thing and get really good at that and i kept trying i kept trying to be in that box but it just wouldn't work I, I it just wasn't comfortable i don't want to just do one thing and then i have the guilty thing of well maybe if i stuck to one thing maybe i'd be really really good at that one thing and not you know what i'm saying but then i realized no that's just not me it's just not who i am it's not my personality you yeah. know and and that's right and it, for me that's the same and a big part of that honestly for me is this idea of non-attachment which is you know a very sort of monkish way of thinking but uh i can work on something i can pour a lot of myself into it but i can also move on from it and that doesn't mean like i'm flaky i'm just not going to get married to a, a sinking ship if that's the case yeah. and i can be able to i can be agile i think if we get too stuck in one way or some one method or one technique or one uh, set of information it makes it really hard for us to see opportunities and possibly take advantage of them how do you combat getting overwhelmed like i'll wake up one morning and i'll have so many different projects that i want to get involved in like right now i've got my you know geffa media group and I've got this pod book of platform that I'm trying to launch and I've got, you know, these books that I want to print and I've got my two podcast shows <laughs> and I've got so many, there's so many things I want to be doing and then I just get overwhelmed and then you know what happens? I just want to say, screw it. I'm just not going to do anything and just binge Netflix or something, you know, like it's a killer. Right? How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that, that overwhelm, that feeling? So one of the things that I think is really key for me and for a lot of people I work with is having a solid system for capturing ideas mm -hmm. and for taking those ideas through a pipeline. Okay. And in recognizing that the time that you come up with an idea is not the time to work on that idea. And that's a hard one for a lot that's of people. That's really cause hard because I want to jump I on know. it. Everything. <laughs> no. Well, and it's just, it's a different brain that ha that does that. So mm. for me, I'll come up with ideas all day long and I'll capture them in an idea capture system that I have set up for myself. And that's nothing more than having some sort of input everywhere. I never want to be more than 20 seconds away from capturing an idea. So whether that's a screenshot on my phone or telling the Amazon Echo device to remind me of something or a picture or an email or whatever. I never have to hold on to those ideas for too long. I can capture them and then at 8 o'clock at night, pretty much every night, I sort those oh, ideas. Wow. And there's a different time to sort them too. So you recognize there's three parts of the idea for me. There's the ideation itself, there's the sorting, and then there is the actual working on the idea. So for sorting, at 8 o'clock at night, I can say, all right, this is something I need to talk to my wife about, and I'm going to do that. This is something that I want to assign to Courtney on my team. This is something I want to send to the VA. This is something that I want to talk about on my next Tech Talk Tuesday webinar. So I'm going to put that on the Tech Talk Tuesday board on Trello, which I don't look at until about 15 minutes before I actually do that thing. And mm -hmm. everything gets sorted. And Or if it's something I want to read, most of my reading is done when I travel now because I just I can't focus on reading ever, honestly. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> if it's something I want to read, I'll put that off to the next flight that I'm going to take. And I know when that's going to be. I typically travel to sometimes three times a month. Hmm. And it's sorted. And it's taken care of. And that is a lot of my 
one of the reasons I'm able to get such good sleep in typically a short amount of time because I go to sleep with an empty an empty brain. How long do you sleep? Uh, typically five and a half hours. My God, jeez, I can't function on less than eight, <laughs> literally. And I wake up with so many ideas bombarding me and driving me crazy. So this sorting, I love this. This is brilliant. This is going to change my life. So um, capturing it, you're saying you just jot it down. So where do you keep it all? Because I would just, I'd be afraid to just lose it in the in the in the ether. You know, like oh no, I'm going to forget about that. You know, that's the right. Thing. And you know, some of that is getting comfortable with that, which you get through over time. But pre pretty much everything goes to a Trello board for me, and it's a list called brainstorming, mm -hmm. which I can then go to at the end of the night, and I can drag something from brainstorming to to do and assign it to courtney uh or i can drag it to another board for the tech talk tuesday or i can add it to my reading list which mm -hmm. another you know which is another board so uh that's it's visually literally sorting and it feels really good to do that wow. and i'm not but i'm not working on anything at that point that's another one is it's like holding yourself back and one of the greatest things about that <coughs> excuse me is the the brain that came up with the idea is not the brain that can assess the idea. So if you give yourself that pause mm. for a few hours or a few days, you can gain a whole new perspective on it. It's almost like using yourself as a sounding board. Mm. And, and also, every one of us has those experiences, right, where you have an idea yes. and it sounds amazing and you get really excited about it. And then like a half an hour into it, somebody's like, oh, but have you ever seen this website? It's the same thing. <laughs> Uh -huh. Right. I hate or, that. or they're like, well, what you know, what if you do this? And you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Right. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah it, you can do that yourself. That's so interesting. Literally, that happened to me today. I, I, I told you about the pamphlet idea that I'm gonna, I'm gonna transcribe all the, you know, and then I spoke to someone and they're like, but Daniel, like, I don't know that. It's, you know how long that's gonna take? Because you got to print it and you got to distribute it, you got to edit it and you got to, and. Why would you do all that? And then it's going to take you away from the other things that you're doing. And right now you're doing all these other projects. And and then I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, I guess, you know, I don't want to do it now. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there's there's so many learnings from The Simpsons that apply to like so many things. Business is kind of amazing. Um, there's this episode where Homer wants to punish uh, Bart for doing something wrong. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. And Bart's like. Well, Dad, he's like, but then, you know, you're gonna have to think of a punishment. And you have to make me do it. And you have to watch, and he like falls asleep listening. To it. It's brilliant. That's really funny. Oh man, you know what else I'm scared of? Boredom. I'm scared that if oh, I outsource, no. yeah, if I outsource everything and if I become so efficient that everything's being taken care of. There's going to be nothing to do, and I'm just going to sit there and just be alone. And it's just that's really scary. What am I going Embrace to do? Embrace boredom. Embrace boredom. No, you uh, no. probably don't get an opportunity very much, and right. it's where some of my best ideas come from. Really, embrace boredom. That's how. Like, what do you seek? Seek boredom. <laughs> seek boredom. Oh my God, you're killing me now. <laughs> how often? How often are you bored? I try. I mean, if it lasts like a couple of minutes, I I quickly start checking Facebook or or something. I mean, now that you've got a smartphone, I mean, it's important. I mean, sit on the toilet and I'm just looking through my Facebook feed, so I I barely can get a moment to be bored. Thank God, or not thank God, because Ari says to embrace it. Um, so the answer to your question is very very little amount of time of boredom is allowed. Yes. 
some some of my best ideas for content have come when I'm pushing my kids on the swing, which is very oh. boring. <laughs> you know, my hands oh, are yeah. occupied. I'm not on my phone, <laughs> and uh, there's there's not real much conversation other than push harder. <laughs> um, so it's right. like it, it's a great opportunity to start thinking of like, well, what if I did this, and what if, you know, what would happen mm-hmm. in this case? Um, and I don't think we get an opportunity enough to do it. Now, nobody likes boredom, but that's why our brains start to fill that space with something. And if something is going to fill that space for your brain, then your brain's not going to do it. Yeah. So, uh, I actually I think it's a great thing because if you are entrepreneurial and you are innovative your brain won't stay bored for very long it will start to come up with things and you know there's a there's a really cool test of resourcefulness it's called the guilford alternative uses test and uh some you probably experienced this before so somebody will give you something like a brick or, or show you a brick whatever and you have to say as many you have like two minutes to come up with as many alternative uses for that object as possible so somebody might say i'd use it as a doorstop or mm-hmm. as a weapon or as a you know a table level or whatever you want, mm-hmm. but it's a really fun way to sort of challenge yourself and start to think of what are alternative uses for the things you have. Uh, you can reverse that too. Um, do you know how to? I, I, you know, I don't know if you were a, a boy scout or a camp or anything, but do you know how to start a fire without? Oh God, a match? I don't. You, you know, you're opening up the closet like completely now. I, I I hate camping. I can't. I need to have my own toilet, <laughs> my own shower, my own bed. Like I'm very not into the whole like sleeping on the floor and then having to dig your own toilet that's just not it doesn't appeal to me <laughs> okay but so which is fine but so right. from movies or books you've ever read can oh, you yeah. think of a way that you might start a fire without a match i would uh hire someone to light it for me no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> seriously i would bring matches i mean uh, okay, okay you take two sticks and you rub them together there we go Right. Yes. Thank you. Now, anyone who's ever tried that knows that it's very, very challenging. But there's actually about, I don't know, a dozen or two dozen ways to start a fire without matches. Everything from the rubbing the sticks together to uh, flint and a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a 9-volt battery and some steel wool, you can start a fire. I could. I know how to start a fire with a piece of ice. What? Actually. Um, yeah. No. So there. Th- but that's the same kind of thing. It's like if you, you have so either think of how many different ways can you use something for something else and how many different ways can you get to the same result? Uh, it's a great exercise to sort of stretch your brain and you, you'd be amazed, at what, especially since you, like me, are really at the, at the end of the day, you're in the content business. Yeah. Right. So you can come up with content all day long from that stuff i mean even even what i just shared with you is something that i would talk about on a call with leader with my uh my less doing leaders which is my coaching program that i run mm-hmm. that's say like you know take yourself through this and think about these exercises and put your team through that and you know there's content do you ever think what's the point of it all like what are you right like what are you doing it for like why are we doing this Sorry, I'm just in a very deep mood right now. I'm just like, I'm just in this... Especially I mean, it, 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 it is Yom Kippur, so... <laughs> right, yeah. Was. Yeah. Um, I was. <laughs> yes, better, yeah. yeah. Um, if it was, I, I wouldn't be talking to you on this uh, podcast show right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I... Uh, no, I don't. I, I think I probably used to at times, but I'm very, very fortunate in the work that I do that I get to hear from people quite often now mm-hmm. that the work that or the information I've shared or the work that I do is life changing for them and that they've been so stuck for so long and they've been so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and now they're not. Um, so that to me is like the greatest impact I can possibly have. Wow. Do you have this condensed somewhere where people can actually, <clears throat> I think you got a book out, right? 
Yeah, so I, I actually my ninth book is coming out in ninth about a week, and book. it's called the Re- what? Nine books? Jeez, man! I mean, where'd you have time? Flipping heck! <laughs> uh, that's that's what ghostwriters are for. I have a writer on my team that oh. uh, that's what she does, and that's and it's all my content. But if I had to write it, you'd we'd be talking about it coming out in about three years from now. And uh, it also means that I can commit to doing a book a year at least now. And the next book. Well, so so this book coming out in a week is going to be called the Re- the replaceable founder. Ooh, I like that replaceable founder. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And then the next book that we're going to start working on is the productive parent. Gee, well, that's a good one. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, and and then there's my original book was called Less Doing More Living, and the update to that is called The Art of Less Doing. So The Art of Less Doing is a great place for people to start, and then. The Replaceable Founder, um, which would be great if they want to check that one out. The Art of Less Doing. This is also very much uh, the, the what's it called, principle? Uh, 80-20. Um, yeah, Pareto's Principle. Pareto's Principle, that's the one. Yeah, very much goes down that whole uh, line of thought about how 80% of what you do essentially, uh, sorry, 20% of what you do essentially leads to 80% of the results. Um and also, there's another principle. Um, oh man, what, what is that again? Wait, you have the amount of time that you have to do something is usually how much time you fill to do it. Um, Parkinson's principle. Parkinson's law. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Like people busy themselves with as much as they can to fill up the time that they've got. Right. So if I've got like say, like typically for me, if I've got a 20 minute space between one meeting and another, let's say my meeting just ended and I've got 20 minutes. I like find something to do in that twenty minutes that can just fill up that amount of time, right? Of course you will. <laughs> so, so everything you're you're basically teaching is is the opposite, right? It's it's not needing to fill up time. It's actually trying to earn back as much time as you can. Yeah, and you know, keeping in mind that I don't I don't want people to actually do less. I want them to do as much as they possibly want to, but mm-hmm. I just don't want anything getting in the way, essentially. So you're going to fill up that time. You're going to do interesting things with that time, but you, you don't have to try quite as hard as you think you do if you actually free up that time for your brain to work properly. Yeah, and as creatives, it's so important to have like that, that free time to just... Because going back to the whole thing about stress, like... When I'm stressed out, I can't. I can't get creative. I can't write. I can't produce. I can't do anything. I'm just too focused on the stress. And when I'm yeah, free of stress, right. yeah, it's hard to produce under under duress. Yeah, hard to produce under duress. Exactly. Um, or actually, it, even it, it's harder to produce quality. It's the same. I mean, not to get more about it. It's the same idea as torture, right? The torture doesn't typically produce good results, right? Somebody will tell you something, that doesn't mean it's true. Hmm. So it's the same idea with being creative and forcing it. An ounce of honey. Oh God, forget it. I'm going to butcher that. <laughs> I'm going to butcher that line. Yeah, you, help me out, Ari. Surely you've heard the line. Attract <laughs> oh. more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was it. That's the one. Have you read the book? <laughs> St- have you read the book Stealing Fire? By the way. Uh huh. So I just, yeah. yeah, so I just started that and it's all about getting into flow. Is this also very much I mean I haven't read I haven't read it yet, but does this go down the same line of thought that we're talking about here about 
the less stress you have, the more you can access flow? Yeah. So, and actually, I, I so there's a concept of peak time, which uh, yeah. Stephen talks about too, which is the 90 minute period, right? So, I actually came up with a test for identifying your peak time and put it into an app Ooh. for free. So, there's a, an app I have called the Less Doing Peak Time app. And based on what's known as the CNS tap test, which just has you tap the screen several times throughout the week, uh, it will be able to estimate when your peak time is. And then if you sort of work your day around that as much as possible, the results are awesome. Whoa. So my peak time is between 10 and noon. Um, but I just had somebody tell me that they did it and their peak time was between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. And that's that happens. We have people all over the map. How does this work? And that's accurate? It really works? Seems to be. I, I had this like <laughs> hypothesis. It turned out to be true. So the CNS tap test, is it's been around forever. And it's based on heart rate variability. So heart rate variability is the the distance between heartbeats. And if you're a non-stressed, you know, resilient person, your variability is very high. You think about like a rubber band, so it can stretch very far and come back. And if you're if the rubber band becomes brittle and rigid, it will break. And when people have low heart rate variability, it's simply because they're just very very stressed. Uh, or just pushing themselves too hard in some way or another. So uh, I, I figured out, or I, I guessed basically, that if you can identify your the time of the day where your heart rate variability on average is the highest, no matter what it is, you know, it could be low or high, but on average there's a time of the day when it's going to be higher than those, I thought that that would correlate to peak time. It's essentially like when your nervous system is firing on all cylinders. It turns out to be very correct. So you just tap on the screen as fast as you can, for 10 seconds and number of taps is correlated to the health and recovery state of your nervous system it's crazy wow genius man that is genius what so that that's called the less doing peak time app yes and it's available on iphone and android it's completely free sweet check that one out wow there's a lot of goodies for the listeners today i tell you this uh jam-packed here um so ari any parting words for any parting words of wisdom or any uh Anything that you think the listeners would, uh, in order to, to, to do less and, and, I guess, do more of what they want to do in their lives, what would you suggest? Yeah, just take a few minutes and like look at what you're actually doing with your time in a given day. And you may think you know what it is, but if you've never done it as an exercise, you probably don't. So just think about like how you're actually spending your time and then look at, you know, what if you did have less time in the day? What would you do or what wouldn't you do? Uh, it's a great exercise to go through. And uh, actually, one other I'll give you. Mm -hmm. Take three circles, make three circles. In the first circle, write the three to five things that you're excellent at. Uh, in the middle circle, write three to five things that you're competent at, but not excellent. And in the last circle, write three to five things that you're really bad at, but you still do them anyway. Uh, and then take a step back. And in your business, you will probably find that that middle column, the middle circle, is people that you should have on your team. And that last circle, the bad one, is things that you should just be outsourcing without even thinking about it twice. So if you say that, like for me, I'm competent at writing. I'm not excellent at it. I'm competent at it. And writing is important in our business. We do a lot of content. So I have a writer on my team full time. Hmm. Uh, that's not something I would just outsource. However, bookkeeping is something I'm terrible at. And I don't need a bookkeeper on our team. So I just outsource that to a service. Brilliant. Sweet. So the art of less doing is coming out. Oh no, it's out. So you can go to Amazon and get that book there. And then in a week, you'll see the replaceable founder will be coming out as well. Um, and oh, are you still doing your podcast? Oh yes, absolutely. Less doing podcast. We got it. We got it. We got to plug that man. Come on. What is this? 
<laughs> take, take advantage of this airtime here. The less doing podcasts, it's, uh, it's available where podcasts are found. The less doing podcasts. All right, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow listeners. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.